0: MCTV. We hope you enjoy the following presentation. Local productions on QTV are made possible with support from viewers like you. Thank you. Thank you.
1: Hello everyone welcome to junior dones the spark i'm junior don and thank you for tuning in today i'm with rabbi peter j rubenstein following 23 years serving as the senior rabbi at central synagogue in new york he is now the director of jewish community and the Broffman center for jewish life for the 92nd street y well rabbi i'm so excited to have you here
2: well, i'm thrilled to be with you all the time but especially now Oh so, thank I, you so
1: compliments much. Compliments become me <laughs> <For> <laughs> okay. actually everybody you know. So what actually is
2: Judaism? Uh, that's sounds like a very direct and simple question and it's not that simple or direct. So we uh, Judaism to be a Jew is both to be a member of a faith and a member of a people and that makes us somewhat sui generis um, because and I, I think about it as a spectrum between Jewishness which is identity and Judaism, which is a faith. And many Jews, for instance, would say, "Well, I'm not, I'm Jewish, but I'm not religious." When they mean that, when they say that, they really mean, "Well, I'm not ritually observant," which you know falls in the category of, of the faith. But their identity is a very Jewish one. They were raised as Jews, born as Jews. They celebrate the holidays, they eat the food, they use the words. So I, that that makes us different. Uh, to be a Jew is both to be member of a faith if you want to follow it, certainly to be a member of a people.
1: So there are three branches of Judaism. I understand the rituals are different, but is the concept of God different?
2: Uh, It's a very, uh, again, a very simple sounding question, but it's actually a very searching question. Uh, there are actually more than three branches denominations in in the United States today Uh, there's reform conservative Orthodox reconstructionism and then there are other groups the Hasidim for instance and and and, uh, so there are many groups Uh, I think what's different is not that our belief in God is different necessarily but our approach to ritual is and our approach to revelation is I'll give you an example. The more traditional, uh, traditionally observant Jew says, God revealed the Torah on Mount Sinai, and therefore we cannot change it. Uh, those of us who are on the more liberal side say God's revelation continues. It's not only given on Mount Sinai, we are the recipients of that tradition, but we each feel God differently, and we can therefore evolve our understanding of God and our understanding of being a Jew, according to uh, the world in which we're walking. So we, Jews really walk in two worlds. They walk in the world of the Jewish people, but also uh, those of us who are liberal are walking in our, at this time, our American world. Um, So in in doing that, uh, we have to adjust ourselves to the, both the time and the place in which we're living, and this is a very unusual time to be living.
1: Is there an analogous time in the Torah in the, in the Old Testament for this time? Uh,
2: I, I would say everything is analogous to the Torah <laughs> because they, the Torah is really, is, uh, let's just talk about the Tanakh, which is the, the three parts of the Jewish holy scriptures.
1: Please.
2: But they, it, it covers a... Please say what
1: it is first.
2: Well, the Tanakh, uh, the Torah, five yeah. books of Moses, then there are the the prophets, which include the Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, the books of Joshua and Judges and Samuel and Kings, and then there are the writings, which include the books of Psalms and Proverbs and Ezra and Nehemiah and Esther and Ruth. And so um, those are the three sections. the 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 Hebrew letter of each of them put together is Tanakh. That's why we call it Tanakh. So and it's the Torah, mean Nehemi- in no, it's particular? just an acrostic: Torah, neviim and Ketuvim. Uh, so to come back to uh, you know the question is that our ancestors were living among other people and I don't think people change I don't think our (laughs) physiological needs change I don't think our psychological needs change and so we can learn from history we do learn from history and the amazing thing for me about the Torah and the stories of Adam and Eve and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob sometimes there are lessons and this is somewhat radical, I imagine. Sometimes there are lessons which we should take to heart and, and learn from, and then there are times that we know we should learn what we don't want to be. In other words, I wouldn't want to be, you know, in the Cain and Abel story, right? right. It's a story of fratricide. We learn what we don't want to do. Um, in the Abraham story, and this again is a radical idea, I sometimes say Abraham wouldn't be my friend, because he's the one that was willing to accept the notion that he should sacrifice his son Yes. and take him up to a mountain and sacrifice him there. And you can imagine the trauma that Isaac, the son, w- felt and how that changed him. And the idea that Abraham teaches us about faith is something I reject. As a matter of fact, I think Abraham should have said to God when, and I think, by the way, my interpretation God would have liked to him said I'm not going to do it right and and if he had said I'm not going to do it I think it would have been a better model for us than to think of him as a religious fanatic
1: so um, if you look at that from the
2: traditional point of view
1: what does they that would, honor or the,
2: you mean the story of Abraham and Isaac on mount yes on they would say it honors he's a man of faith that he was willing to sacrifice his son uh, if God asked him of it. Uh, Later traditions actually use that story to preempt Christianity.
1: How so?
2: Well, they say Christianity says that, you know, God asked a sacrifice, uh, the the sacrifice of his son, and that because his son was sacrificed, then we are all granted certain rights and grace. Um, And, And so Jews, the the traditional commentary said, when our God, right, when our our forebear was asked to sacrifice his son, nobody challenged God, but Jesus on the cross said, wherefore are you, Where are you? And according to the story in the Torah, Isaac didn't, didn't challenge what his father was doing, although he did ask a serious question, which would have allowed Abraham to say, I'm not gonna do it, but that's a whole nother story. We have so, a lot to talk about.
1: So free will, right, mm-hmm. and right. the ethical choice, or at least as one experiences, can often um, trump God, or at least ask God to think it over?
2: Well, I think God, uh, there is a, a school of thought called mystical Kabbalah, yeah. and that, that school of thought has a, uh, um, a metaphor they said that you've, God occupied all time and space, and at some point, the, the, it's like a, a, an urn that was dropped <clears throat> and the world was shattered, and God withdrew, allowing us to have free will. In other words, if, right. therefore, it can't be that everything that happens in history is God's doing. Yes. That human Like beings, the Holocaust. Like the Holocaust. So therefore, God has granted us the right to free will, which therefore also grants us the need to ask for repentance, to atone, right. to say we're wrong, and to rejoice in the things that we do right.
1: So Hillel was supposed to have said, uh, love thy neighbor as thyself." all the right. rest is commentary. Right. Does that sort of summarize Judaism in your point of well, view? That,
2: that's a great, it's a great midrash, it's a great story. Um, it. I, I think that, at a, it's it's not the totality of Judaism. Actually, he said, it, "Do not do unto others as you would not have no, others doing do to you." you. But But um, yeah, I think that generally we should be treating other people as we would want to be treated. Um, of course, um, you know, it, uh,
1: I have a little problem with that. Yeah, because not everybody wants to be treated like I want to be treated. Well, it's almost I have always felt you almost sort of have to ask or observe so uh,
2: well I think I think what we would say is none of us want to be hurt yes therefore we shouldn't hurt others
1: is there ambiguity in, in Judaism
2: I think there's ambiguity in life uh, yes of course I mean there's ambiguity as to we're we're living for instance in a time of tremendous ambiguity aren't we well, more info. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, the in terms of what's right and what's wrong, the talk about fake news and about truth and about, you know, is scientific evidence real? Yeah. I mean, never before did we ask those questions. You know, is the constitutional is the Constitution, should we adhere to it strictly or do certain people in high office have the right to do what they do? these are questions that are being fought in the courts, they're being fought over dining room tables, to the contrary, I should withdraw, they're not being drawn over fought over dining room tables because families are so afraid of entering into the political realm and the ambiguities in it that people have declared them kind of politic free zones. Um,
1: I think that's useful.
2: Well I think it's useful Um, as somebody pointed out to me recently Even husbands and wives can talk about some of these subjects.
1: I I come from the opinion that we should find what we have in common, and build on that, and not try to always say what are our differences. So, old-fashioned.
2: That'll make make for a very happy marriage.
1: Most of the time. Not
2: always an interesting marriage, but a very happy one.
1: So, when uh, you're speaking of marriages, what is the role of the rabbi's wife?
2: Well, you know, and um, the, there is no role for the rabbi's wife, except if um, there's a, the term for the rabbi's wife traditionally is the Rebetzin. And in some synagogues, the rabbitson actually had a, for, a formal, though not a paid, occupation, right? It was to not only support the rabbi, but to host dinners and kind of help, you know, work with the women of the congregation. Um, I, I've always uh, felt that, in the congregations I've served, they hired me. They didn't hire my wife. And so uh, for the most part, my wife was active in the congregation because she was she was part of the congregation, and she was my wife, but didn't treat it as a job. Um, it was something she liked doing and therefore was doing, but uh, at different times my, my wife worked and had another profession.
1: Uh, so you commented earlier a little bit about I don't want to say role, but what is the role of a a rabbi? I don't mean the role you read and this and that, but I mean in terms of getting along with people or helping them through things or running boards of directors with different points of view. What have you learned?
2: Well, I've learned that um, good people can disagree and and can actually argue as long as the agenda is the item and not the person. Uh, And if you do that, then I worked, I've been in congregations uh, for 50 years as the senior rabbi of three different congregations. Never saw politics the way that people sometimes say religious institutions are filled with politics. Never, never. Part of it is because, and I don't want to admit this publicly, but it's my secret just, just to you, right? Sometimes I'm wrong.
1: Yes.
2: Right? Sometimes to do with smart
1: people. and, and I
2: therefore with at times I want to I want members of my congregation, boards of trustees to disagree with me. Because and sometimes they're right and I'm wrong. I once said to a board of trustees, if they ever do what I because do something because I said I want to do it, I'll never I'll never talk. I don't want that to happen. I want them to argue. I want them to express their opinions. Um, I want to honor and I honor them and I want them to honor me and so my role in the congregation is to teach Judaism, uh, to be um, a a counselor to my congregation, to help them through the highs and lows of their lives, um, to help them through the life cycle as it's expressed in Jewish tradition, uh, and to uh, be with them when they need support and be, if they would want, their friend when they need a friend.
1: Did you start out life wanting to be a rabbi or did you discover no. it?
2: <laughs> no, no, My older brother became a rabbi, um, but whether that was reason or not, I never thought of becoming a rabbi. Um, I went to uh, the Bronx High School of Science, where, in and, and, and a way, that shaped the way I think about things. And then I went to college. Uh, I was pre-med, I majored in English, but the first, my freshman year in college, I was living in an all, everybody had a single room, it was an all-men's school, and somebody from down the hallway came to me, big, good-looking, blonde, West Virginian, and he said to me, uh, Peter, he said, uh, you know, I've never met a Jew, so what do Jews believe? And I was stumped. I knew what to be a Jew was. My identity was intact, but we never really talked or about God or faith. That was, it was in a way, it was irrelevant. I was born into it, and that's all I needed. So, but it disturbed me that I didn't have an answer to that. So, um, I took a course with a great professor of religion. John Pemberton, and then I, start, I took every course with him. So I studied Christian theology, I studied New Testament, I studied Eastern religions. They didn't have cor- courses in Judaism, there was no Hillel on campus. And then when it came to, um, I saw, and then I, so I had at the end enough credits to be both an English and a religion major. And I decided to write my, my honors thesis under both departments. And I wrote it on William Faulkner. And Paul Tillich, who is oh, a, was yeah. a modern Christian theologian, um, uh, I don't want to go into the, the thesis of the thesis. But when I finished, my older brother, the rabbi, said to me, uh, "He said, I don't get it. Right? You go through college, um, and you write your thesis on a Christian theologian. What's with you?" So I figured, all right, here's my brother. He's been in seminary for four years. So I said, to Larry, I said well, Larry, so this is my question. What do, what do Jews believe? And he said to me, uh, you know, kind of fumfered around and he said, you know, you ought to speak to my professor of theology. So now this was two weeks after I graduated college. I had been accepted into a joint MD-PhD program, which was what I really wanted to do. And quite honestly, you know, I think is where my natural talents are. But um, he said to me, you should speak to my professor of theology. And you know, here I was, uh, you know, a kind of arrogant, <laughs> not really arrogant, but I was, you know, graduate college, I know the word, I don't, you know. So I met with his professor of theology at a bar on the west side of Manhattan. And he came in and we sat down for a beer. He said, so what's your problem? And I said, I don't have a problem. I said, I, I have a question. So he said, What's your question? I said, I am trying to figure out what do Jews believe. And he said to me, without hesitation, said, In order to learn that, you have to study with me. <laughs> so being, you know, who I will, you know, being just out of college and fresh, and you know, not having enough respect for those who had been, you know, great, great people in their own field, I said to him. Um, Dr. Borowitz, I said, Dr. Borowitz, I will give you a year. I will delay my entrance into this joint MD-PhD program for a year, and that year I expect to learn everything there is to know about what Jews (laughs) believe. What he didn't tell me at the time was that in order to study with him, I had to apply to seminary, which was no big deal. You know, As long as I passed the psychological, (laughs) the, the seminary was glad to take me. So that's how I got into seminary, and and the search, that search actually continues to this yes. day, but um, I found my answer in history, not in theology.
1: Interesting. So the, enough m- enough to divert.
2: Enough from for me to say medicine. this this is what I want to spend my life doing. I, I that I believe Jewish history is miraculous and I want to be an active part of it.
1: Was a revelation. It to was. You.
2: It was a huge revelation, and it, you know how at times things happen in our lives in which they veer. Yes. Um, that was one of those points that just completely veered off course. Um, I always thought, well, maybe I'll go back to this, you know, discover the, you know, a cure to cancer. But in a certain way, I became so engaged in kind of the well-being. Of society, the well-being of the world, the well-being of the Jewish people, and that's and the well-being of people, of individuals. So, I became a, I, I've been a very happy man, and uh, really feel that I got a gift.
1: So, what's interesting to me is medicine is very left brain, <laughs> right. A lot of memorization, and it's art once you get through it, but until right. you get through it, and this is factual, but. You're right. Differently. It's, it's different. Like it do another, it gave you an opportunity to be a differently in the world.
2: Right. Yes. But in fact, what I learned in science was that for every, the if then, right? Yes. If, if, if A, then B, right? Yes. And I still apply that to my way of thinking. And in fact, when I think about my understanding of God, I still apply that, that method to it. I'll give you one example, which was kind of a you know another of my revelations. I never believed in life after death. I I couldn't sense it. I didn't understand. It. There was nothing rational about it. And then I realized that I believed in the preservation of matter. I believed in the preservation of time, right? I believed in the preservation of energy. So why shouldn't I? Th- imagine the possibility of the preservation of life. Not in the form that we know it, not in a physical way, but I could, it came to a point where I couldn't conceive that there was an end. There was, but that there had to be a continuation, obviously not in the form that we know it. But that was, you know, that was kind of a melding of my method about how, the method of how I think about things, the kind of scientific training with You know the nature of faith and religion, and really challenging. You know, from my perspective, the traditional notion that everybody says, "Oh, there's," you know. On the one hand, the liberals said, "There's not. You don't have a life after this life," and traditionalists said, "Oh, there is a life after this life." And so I had to figure that out for myself.
1: Interesting. You have courage. Well, (laughs) I grew up in the Bronx.
2: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you know, you that know when wealthy. to fight. What does that know. mean? <laughs> uh, you, you learn some things from the streets, which is yeah. You have to be courageous. You learn know when to fight, and you learn when to walk away from a fight. And uh, but I also always believed, I always believed that I could get things done, and I could think things through. And sometimes thinking things through is a lifetime pursuit.
1: Do you get internal messages like um, "I need to pay attention to," or "I might be interested," or "This may happen"?
2: I think, you know, I use the word revelation. Right. Yes, I. I, Every moment. I mean, the fact is, and I think it's true for all of us. Every moment of our lives, we are learning, right? Um, And and part of the gift of being a rabbi is the number of teachers I've had, you know, every one of my members that I've had dealings with helped me learn something. Um, but I I wake up in the morning basically grateful for the gifts I have in my life. And I do, you know, I never thought I'd be, I do thank God for that, yes. right? I mean, because people say, no, it's you. I say, I'm just lucky, you know, and I really do. I'm just lucky. and. These things, I didn't necessarily deserve what I have. But the other thing is, I am always learning. And, and it's, it's, even an event like this, I'm learning. The questions you're asking are, you know, searching questions and make me think. So yes, I believe in, in moments, there are these moments of revelation to me, new truths.
1: You know, that's a, that's a gift, but differently described Uh, because they do they do happen the question is can you act on them (laughs) and that's where the courage and also the faith maybe um, comes in I never understood really faith in Judaism what is faith in Judaism
2: well firstly about courage um, I I've never been afraid sometimes that's not a great thing because in certain physical ways I probably should have been afraid but, right. but I've never been afraid. Never afraid of people, never afraid of thinking. Never. Uh, faith in Judaism for me is belief and I'll reduce it, um, this is one person's perspective because right? no, I don't think any of us can answer that question for everybody. Faith for me is believing in the uniqueness of the Jewish people and our role in making this a world better place. We talk about, there's a, <clears throat> there's a verse, uh, talks about us as being a light to the nations. I don't think of it as a light. I, I think of it as we have a role to be, to think differently uh, when the masses are thinking one way, there is, we should be courageous if we don't think it's right to behave another way. I think it's really shedding, helping unlock the light within everybody. Uh, so that we can all radiate out the best of us. And I think that uh, our role as Jews is to, in history, has to, even in the worst of times, to be an example of what human beings can be at their best.
1: How does one unlock the light in one
2: sentence? (laughs) Um, How does one unlock the light? I'm going to say it in a way that uh, will need more than one sentence, you may need to have me back, uh, is to let God speak through us.
1: Perfect, and thank you so much. So we've learned a lot from Robert Rubenstein. First, the surprise, he doesn't feel fear, but also to assess situations at all levels. He was drawn, and it's hard to get into Bronx science that and he prepared for one life and then he serendipitously almost got drawn into another but he chose differently than you would have expected also he has, has a wonderful way of uh, talking with people but not advising them you heard me talk to him about that he's learned how to say I could be wrong and I can learn by listening to his board, to me, to the questions. But the most important thing is in being humble, but also to stay curious. Life is a gift, and if you can live it well, the light in you stays on, and some of us are drawn to share that light or to turn it on in others. And uh, I would like to encourage you to think about those revelations, those opportunities in your own life or in others' lives. It is a tremendous opportunity to see life um, with more layers and more mystical, if I can use that word, than others. So thank you for joining in today. I really appreciate it. And remember what I say every time, go out and do something kind for someone you know and someone you don't know today and do it every day till I see you next time. Again, thank you so much for tuning in.
0: To contact Junia, send her an email at juniadonesthespark at gmail.com. For more information, program schedules, and news about future guests, go to www.juniadonesthespark.com. Thank you for joining us. See you next time on Junia Dones the Spark. Local productions on QTV are made possible with support from viewers like you. Thank you. This program is presented by a community producer through Midland Community Television. The City of Midland and MCTV are not responsible for the content of the program. The views presented do not necessarily represent those of the City of Midland or MCTV. If you would like to produce your own program, contact MCTV at 837-3474 or access our website, cityofmidlandmi.gov MCTV. We hope you enjoy the following presentation.